I don't have to depend on crimes or tragedies or, or scandals to make my magazine sell. First of all, we are, we, we are content creators. The second thing we do is that we make connections, right? We, we make ends meet for, for a benefit. So we introduce people with others. The third thing that I was telling you is that we, we like to say we inspire people. So dream big and the sky's the limit. Welcome to Loud and Clear on its fifth season. This is episode one of the podcast produced for those who give a shit about advertising and marketing. I am your host, Francisco Cárdenas, principal of digital integration at our multicultural ad agency, Lerma. On the controls, we have Rolf Ries, creative technologist, producer, and rock and roller. Today, our guest is a leader amongst leaders. He is Latino, an entrepreneur, a dream maker, and one of the best storytellers for Latino leaders in the United States. He has been doing this for 30 years, and his name is Jorge Ferraiz, Mexican, founder of Latino Leaders Magazine with his brother Raul. Together, they've created media properties that stood apart from the mainstream. Their mission is to connect leaders and inspire the future. Jorge leads several publications both in the U.S. and Mexico under the flagship Ferraris Publication Group. I can't wait to get in the weeds with Jorge and get to know his story, what inspired him, what moves him, and what is next. He covers areas like franchise industry, Latino executives, corporate companies, Latinos on corporate boards, and special events. He's here with us at Lerma headquarters in Dallas, Texas. Now, full disclosure, Pete Lerma, our founder, was awarded the 2022 Dallas Maestro Recognition by Latino Leaders Magazine, and his story was featured just recently. So thank you for that, Jorge, and welcome. Welcome to the Lerma headquarters here in Dallas. Thank you, Francisco. My pleasure, and I, I really feel humbled uh, about what you are saying about me, and I, I just want to start by saying that I do give a shit about advertising <laughs> and marketing because that has been part of my life. Very important. Yeah, you have been a, a, a great part of it as far as the Latino and how it has evolved throughout the years in the United States. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, a, a great adventure and seeing how, particularly this part of the market, of the Hispanic market, advertising and marketing has changed. I would say it has evolved. Yes. And has transformed itself, I mean, uh, gorgeously in many senses. Yes. Entire businesses have based their model in the Latino and Hispanic audience and communications and advertising has not been excluded from that naturally. Right. And billions of dollars have been spent on under the name of uh, Hispanic marketing, uh, sometimes with uh, a good reason and a good justification. Some others, not that so. Yeah. But but still has been a, a huge, a huge uh, stream inside the evolution of the marketing in this country. Yeah. How, how long have you been in, in the United States? Over 22 years. Can you tell us, you know, if we start at the beginning, can you tell us a little bit your story and what, what made you come with a very unique vision, mm -hmm. even at the time, right? Uh, to get started Latino Leaders Magazine. Of course. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and, and thank you for, 
for the your the invitation. Um, um, I, I I I am a I'm a licenciado in Ciencias de Comunicación. I yeah. didn't know how to say it in English because there's no such. Uh, Which would be the same as a bachelor's degree, right? Bachelor's in degree, mass communication, something yes. like that. But um, that was my passion since I was like 12 or 14 years old, always on the marketing and advertising and always, you know, doing things. I used to do commercials with my cousins in a, in a Super 8 camera, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and make them act like they were like doing something. And then I directed plays and musicals with my friends and so and you were all always been a storyteller since okay always. I, I yeah they, they my, my 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 parents gave me a, a tape recorder when I was like eight or nine years old and I used to record myself singing or doing like radio transmissions saying hey this is Jorge Verraes and I welcome you to la 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 so, so I dreamed about being a you do have the host. name of a radio personality <laughs> it's, a, it's a good name for a radio personality well maybe in Mexico but here Verraes <laughs> has always given me a lot of problems but no you know after I mean after college uh, my brother who was a, a year and a half younger than me uh, we decided we were we have always been very close And, and we have, you know, we shared a lot of friend circles and things like that. We decided to do something uh, on, on ourselves. Okay. I was, by the time, working at Televisa, a very um, large... Uh, a small company. Media company. <laughs> yeah, in, Huge. In Latin America. <laughs> yeah. And I was producing telenovelas. And okay. I was producing uh, musical shows and, and uh, musical groups. And I was fascinated. Do you have a band that we might know? That no, no, no. I, I never performed. I always okay. was on the on the backstage, you okay. know, producing or or directing the the, the tours, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. But but uh, but at, at some point, uh, uh, one of my bosses told me, you know, you need to you need to quit Televisa and start doing your own stuff. And I said, why? I'm so happy. I'm, I'm about to get, uh, you know, uh, graduated from college and I can now be full time producer. I love this profession and all that. Told me, yeah, but you are more a person that would be a better business owner and, and start something by by his own. Wow. What an amazing and, and, and advice. He, he advised me and he actually kind of forced me to to resign. And I went to my brother and said, you know what? I'm free. Let's do something. In my town, they call that firing us. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Well, <laughs> no, but it's an elegant firing. You're right. You're well, yeah, inspiring you're right. you, right? You're right. To do something. And uh, by the way, we are still very friends with that uh, boss of mine. Well, you should uh, be thankful. With yeah, him. no, no. I mean, he, uh, he, he did a huge favor to me right. on that side. So with this, we, 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 uh, me and my brother starting figuring out what to do. We didn't have money to start a radio station, not a TV station, not even a newspaper. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that we could afford was a magazine. Okay. Because it was once a month, you know, so we needed to get enough advertisers to pay for the printer and the writers and the photographs, photographers and, and, and all that for only once a month. So that, that started uh, and we started doing these little uh, pamphlets, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, that you, that we used to distribute for free house by house under the garage door every Saturday or every. And this uh, still month. in Mexico or already here. You, in this was, that was in Mexico city. And we started one called El Pedregal, another one called Polanco and another one called Las Lomas. 
which is different areas from, different from those who don't know. Exactly, yeah. in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And after like two or three years doing that, we, we kind of learned a little bit about the industry of magazines and how do you sell to advertisers and what, what do they want and what. And at that time, we didn't, we didn't use advertising agencies. We just went directly to the owner of the flowers, flower shop or the owner of the grocery store, the owner of the gasolineria there, gas station, whatever, and, and they, they would buy from us. So, but, but in doing this, we became friends of a very famous uh, uh, host, radio host. At that time, he was huge in terms of audience and all that. And we did an interview with him and he got interested in the project and what are you doing and blah, blah, blah. We started talking about, about uh, launching a, a larger magazine, interviewing personalities and famous people and all that. And he was very, very uh, interested in, in, in advising us and being... No. So um, with that, without advice and with that thing, we started thinking of a magazine called Líderes Mexicanos. Nice. And it was 1990 or something like that. Uh, later on, uh, for other circumstances, he couldn't join us in, in the partnership mm -hmm. because he was not allowed to partner with anyone. He was locked into the deal he had. Yes, yeah. he was locked into the into his employment yes. because he was a, an employee of a company. And uh, so me and my brother were just ourselves, by ourselves. And we started th that magazine. But, but, you know, in the way we started meeting a lot of people that liked the project and would say, okay, yeah, I, I'd love to give you an interview. And by the way, I can introduce you to such and such. Mm -hmm. Or I can introduce you, oh, have you met with... Uh, Fulanito, or with uh, the, you started this connecting, mm -hmm. and we started connecting, and, and one door opened the other one, and the other one, and then a good experience of a good interview and a good edition with nice photos and nice a nice story, you know, was enough to for someone to pick the phone and say, "Hey, uh, I want to introduce you to my friends, the Ferraris brothers. They they are doing this magazine that looks very nice. They just interview me. You just should meet with them and, and let you let them interview you." And so. The ball started, uh, started rolling. rolling. Was Mexico a good training ground for what you did then in Definitely. the United States? We, yeah. we, we learned a lot on how to open doors for interviews, but we also learned the, the pain and, and the pain road, road for the advertising agencies, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. and, and at that time, we understood that we couldn't sell to, to the clients direct anymore because of the amounts and because of the, so we started dealing with advertising agencies. Okay. And that was, that was, you know, we learned a lot there. And we always kept a good portion of our clients that were buying us direct. Of course, the advertising agencies were huge at that time and they were, they were our main- It's a better uh, revenue stream for mm -hmm. you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so we did that. And in one of those uh, uh, passages, we started dreaming with publishing a story about a president of Mexico that was very important, that just signed the, the NAFTA, the first NAFTA with Bush Senior and Chrétien in Canada. Carlos Salinas? Carlos Salinas. Yes. And, and we decided to make a story on him. And then while doing his story, we proposed this to Los Pinos, which is the White House in, in Mexico. Mm -hmm. and, and they told us <clears throat> the president don't allow interviews, but if you want to write a story about him, we can give you information and we can give blah, 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 and introduce it to some people. Yeah, let's do that. So we, we kept going and going and going. Every time we, we could meet, 
uh, about uh, about the president with someone else. And at some point, we were we weren't lying, but we were using a, a very powerful truth. So we would we would call the Secretario de Hacienda. Mm -hmm. I would say we're we're writing an article about uh, President Salinas, and we need to talk to you. Who would say no? Right. So they would right. say yes. And we started interviewing very high-profile people. So, so it wasn't a lie. It was just a, a truth that opened doors, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, by the time that we ended the, the, the story, it was very well-written, very well-researched. We have interviewed not only the cabinet, but uh, his brother, his father, his cousin, his, the, the, the inner circle. Wow. We, we said, well, the only thing that is missing here is really an interview with him. So we send a text to Los Pinos requesting the opportunity and they say, well, okay, send us a couple of questions and we will see that the president asked those questions for you. We did that, but we kept insisting on a, on a live interview or something like that. And one of these days they, they, they say, well, okay, I mean, the president wants to know you. So he invited us to, to Los Pinos. No, no. We, he invited us to a, a tour. Okay. He, he, in his administration, he would tour the country every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Mm -hmm. So every Thursday, the Air Force One of Mexico would take off from Mexico City's airport and would take the president to Chiapas, and then Chihuahua, and then Yucatan, and then Acapulco, and then uh, and opening a, a new bridge here, and then talking to the communities there and doing things that the presidents do and meeting with governors and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the trip would, would last for two nights. Okay. And on Saturdays mornings, he would come back to Mexico City. So he invited us to do that trip. And during the trip, he invited, to, invited us to talk to him. Wow. And so we could maybe convince him of the interview. And we did that. And of course, me and my brother, I was like 25 years old mm -hmm. and he was like 24. So we were saying, my God, this is like a dream for us, traveling with the president of our country, you know, everywhere. And it was really, really like highlighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and not Even only, today, no, after yeah, so many course. years. Yeah. And not only the president, you travel with the, the elite staff. of the Mexican, not only the staff, you, you, you travel with ambassadors, with business owners. I mean, we, we met Carlos Slim, we met uh, uh, there, I mean, I can, uh, Juan Sanchez Navarro, we met there, Valentin Diaz Morodo, I mean, in the trip. And the good thing is that if the president introduces you to him or to them, then you're you, in a good, yeah. yeah, you're in a good standing. And actually, one of those, one of those trips, uh, the president told us, I want, uh, because we ended up doing many trips with him. Okay. Because we convinced him about the interview and the biography and we said, no, we need like four trips <laughs> and, and we need to talk to you and, 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 and kind of make notes on how you work and all that. And he, he started loving that. And then uh, in one of those trips, uh, he said, by the way, I need you to meet with uh, a very brilliant politician, uh, young man, very energetic, kind of like you two. That's why I want you to meet. And then we enter the plane and it was, uh, this man was there in a corner sitting and he told us, I want you to meet Luis Donaldo Colosio. Luis Donaldo Colosio. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the audience that doesn't know who Luis Donaldo Colosio is? He was the candidate, uh, uh, a presidential candidate that was assassinated during the campaign in opposition to his regime or, or who, to, to the his, Carlos Salinas. To the Carlos Salinas uh, If I remember correctly, that was uh, 23rd of March. 
23rd of March. Yes. That's correct. I remember that. Yeah, in Tijuana. Uh -huh. so, um, so you but met him. Incredible. We, no, we met a very good friendship with Luz Donaldo Colosio. Mm -hmm. Very good one. Actually, we were already working on some things for Cedesol and for, you know, one of these uh, government organizations in Mexico when, when he started the campaign. And we, during the campaign of Colosio, we were very close to Colosio. And we met with all his staff. Mm -hmm. And part of his staff was Ernesto Cedillo and, and uh, um, this guy that lives here, um, uh, Lebanon Science, and, okay. and many, many Mexicans at, at that time. Esteban Moctezuma was part of the staff. So a lot of Latino leaders. <laughs> a lot of Latino Mexican leaders. <laughs> Mexican leaders. I mean, to, to, to make a long story short, that was an adventure. The the a wonderful adventure for us. The the edition was was out. It was a huge success that put our magazine on the map. And right after that, we started looking what else. Mm -hmm. And then is when we decided, well, let's do something in the U.S. Okay. So we started coming. Why? Why? Why in the U.S.? What? Because we wanted to do it in South America, Latin okay. America, same language. Same structure and countries, same social, social, uh, socioeconomical mm -hmm. pyramids and societies. But someone told us, you know, uh, with NAFTA, uh, Mexico is not going to be very close to Latin America in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be closer to the U.S. and Canada. And I think if you're going nice. to start something, it's better to look north than look south. Okay. So yeah, that that, that makes sense. Uh, the only problem is that we don't speak English, okay. <laughs> but, but we can learn. Wow, you speak very good. <laughs> we can learn. And then, um, so, so we decided to be here. Thanks to the relationships that we had with the Salinas government, uh, we knew some of the ambassadors that were here, not ambassadors, uh, consuls that consuls. were here in the U.S. And we started coming saying, well, we have a new project. We're going to launch a, a, a magazine for Latinos and for Mexicans in the U.S. So uh, do you know some people? Oh, yes, of course. And, and we started going to the 42 or 43 cities in which Mexico had consulates at that time. Okay. And every single consul, not every single, but most of the consuls were very, were very eager to share with us information and contacts and people, and you should interview these. So we would come to Dallas and they would say, no, 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 you, you should interview, you know, in, in, in the side of a business, you have these two or three business owners and, and Victor Almeida, Guillermo Perales, and, and Eduardo Diaz. And then if you go to the advertising, you need to interview Pete Lerma, he's there. So, so we, we had like a, like a great uh, class or, Connection builder training, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. In names. Wow. So every time we went back to Mexico, we would just started making lists and lists and every day larger until. until what a was, database, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Talking about that. And it, it went up to 17,000 names wow. at some point. And all of them in the US mostly. Yeah. All of them in the US. Okay. All of them. Of course, we started uh, uh, considering names and people not only from Mexican. Descent, right? Uh, we started, of course, doing all the Cubans in Miami, all the Puerto Ricans and Dominicans in New York and New Jersey and all those. So we started including all the, the Latino community. And of course, once you're here, as must have happened with you, uh, you discover that the Hispanic community is more is more extended and is more rooted. Yeah, it's a characteristic Maine. of this. You, you would think only Mexican and yes, Mexican has yeah. the most. 
Uh, but percentage. it's not only that. But it's all ingrained and it's That's different it. geography no. and stuff like that. Yeah. So in uh, on November 11 of 1999, in a Starbucks coffee that was on 57 and Fifth Avenue, New York, me and my brother took the decision of launching Latino Leaders Magazine here. Wow. And I still remember the date because we started walking down Fifth Avenue back to our hotel, kind of celebrating the idea that we were going to embark in a new in a new adventure. Líderes Mexicanos by that time already had like 13, 14 years old. The magazine was doing great. We were very happy with the performance. Actually, it was a very enjoyable business. And it was still independent in Mexico. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. To this day, right? Yeah, to yeah. this day, to mm -hmm. this day. And we, we were, me and my brother always did kind of the same. Uh, it was not that he took care of A and I took care of B. We were like very mixed. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was easy to separate or not separate, but to start leaving uh, on him most of the operations in Mexico. And it was easy for me to start taking, overtaking uh, the, the US operations. The US operations. Okay. And the process lasted like seven years. It was not easy. At the beginning, it was a lot of interconnections, a lot of things that were that were cross uh, crisscrossing. And for example, administration, uh, sales, at the beginning, Raul was selling from Mexico. See? Mm -hmm. And I started concentrating on Latino leaders and trying to find those stories that would be, you know, the, the, the initial stories to tell here. Yes. And we started discovering great stories, Francisco. I mean, every time you you dipped into, into any market, any city, uh, you found fabulous stories too. And tell me something. So back in 99, I'm trying to think that's that's... I think that's when the women's U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, soccer team won the World Cup. Columbine had happened. Mm -hmm. What was the ambience as far as who was telling the story of, I know we had Univision, we had Telemundo mm -hmm. in the U.S. There was no YouTube, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter. Who was telling these stories other than you? Like who was really highlighting the, the Latino entrepreneurial stories? I mean, your story, Mm -hmm. itself it's wonderful um, was there what was your competition well that, that's that's a very interesting question I've never been asked that question because and, and I understand where you're coming from because you're a media marketing mm -hmm. executive and in and, and the panorama at that time was dominated by the speaking the Spanish speaking media yes. really. so most of the Hispanic spending and most of the Hispanic advertising and media was dominated by the newspapers the TV channels and networks in Spanish. It was barely, barely one or two magazines in English, one or two. I don't even know if there were any TV channels or radio stations in English for Latinos. Covering, covering the stories. Latino, yeah. yeah. No, 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 not covering the stories, covering anything. Yeah. Anything about Latino. Most, most things about the Latino population were told on the TV networks in Spanish mm -hmm. or, or in the newspapers. There was a couple of magazines, one that I ended up admiring a lot, what that was called Bis uh, Hispanic Business. Okay. And the founder was a, a, an academic professor from the University of California, Santa Barbara, called Jesus Chavarria. And Jesus started his magazine in, in the, the 80s, and he made, he made this magazine like the very number one title. Okay, and independent he, as well. He opened the doors for every single one that followed like us 
in the print and the Hispanic print industry in this country. He opened the doors with advertising agencies, with with uh, advertisers. He introduced me, for example, to to uh, people from Ford. In wow. Detroit. Okay. And the people that managed the advertising from Ford, which was at that time Subi Advertising in mm-hmm. Miami, and Joe and Subi, no, Joe Subi, and no, uh, actually it was her mother, okay. his mother, yeah, yeah, um, Teresa, Teresa, Teresa Subi. So, so. So, but that magazine was more like a business magazine. It was like a Fortune Forbes, mm-hmm. you know, about business and and the stock market and and things. It isn't it was not necessarily about interviews or covering leaders. It was more business, and it was it had it had his a little bit of uh, doses about the the. Hispanic discriminatory, you know, ballad, okay. if you will, mm. in which oh, why they treat us like that, and Hispanic business need to be more observed and more considered and more better evaluated, blah blah blah. You know, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of a chip. On, yeah, yeah. But but he made it in rows, and and the magazine was good for for many years until they closed. But it was a fantastic publication. And it cer- certainly seems that he was somebody that opened the doors for you and saw, saw the It was something to be afraid of, let me tell you. All of the advertisers and all of the, <laughs> all of the uh, uh, agencies were afraid of him because he was very tough. Yeah. He was, he was like, like our, our African-American brothers are. Like mm-hmm. he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't come for it. He would come to you and say, I need three insertions for my magazine from this client of you. Or you will see what happens, mm-hmm. and and he made it real. I mean, if you if he didn't get th- those three pages for his magazine, you would receive a call from the CEO of your client saying, "Why didn't you advertise in Hispanic business? Because I didn't consider it important. Of course, it's important." But that, so the so the movement that we're seeing now today of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is like doing the right thing. He had that narrative already back then, right? He had very good relationships with people in in Congress okay. and in the government, because of course he was telling this story, and many of those legislators were, for example, uh, I remember he he told me how, the story on how he he forced AT and T to have, I think it was the first corporation. I'm not sure, don't quote me 100% real on this, but it was AT&T or it was uh, one of these companies, telecommunications companies. He made SBC Global maybe back then? Probably. He made one congressman to call to the CEO of the company (laughs) and saying, you need to devote $100 million today to open a budget in your marketing department for Hispanic advertising, only Hispanic advertising. Wow. And I wonder did. if that happens today. You think? It was a letter. Yeah, nice. It was a letter. Um, so did you know that day, November 11th, mm-hmm. uh, 1999, did you know that you were like coming into a niche, like you were really going into a white canvas, like an mm-hmm. opportunity of something that was not covered? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to me, so just a little bit, I came also in 99 to the United States and it seemed to me that... Um, what was being covered, at least for Hispanic, was a little bit more superficial in the mainstream media. And it seemed that you had a, a little bit of what the experience that you had in Mexico, mm-hmm. you had a lot of substance of what you wanted to offer and the story you just wanted to tell in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Did you know you were doing that? No. Or was it an accident? Not at all. We were completely unconscious of that. But let me tell you what we started discovering very soon. And you asked me that question before. The panorama was we... 
most of the budgets and most of the, the, the dialogue and the ideas in the Hispanic marketing was dominated by the results of the census of the 2000. Uh-huh, okay. That census was the first census that was very dramatic in telling how, how impressive was the growth of the minorities, especially the Hispanic market, and the projections in expenditure, in in, in um, purchase power, in population, in purchasing power, all these. So that was, you know, like 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 eye opening to many. Not only eye opening for us was beautiful. We would enter the the advertising agencies. And, and we would meet with the entire media department and said, oh, so you are a Hispanic magazine? Yes, we want three ads. But we haven't even explained it. No, it doesn't matter. We need, right. because they had this, they had this uh, mandate from their clients to find Hispanic media and, and, and spend money on them. And there was not a lot available. And there was not enough, Wow, of course. And especially- I wish I knew you back then. And especially <laughs> in, the, in the segment that we were serving. Yes. Which was the the high end. Because as I explained to you before, the lower ends, the Spanish speaking population was already being served by Univision and Telemundo. Not Telemundo, it was not at that time, but it was SIN and and you know all these. Yeah. Yeah. So so the higher market, the, the high end of the Hispanic market was underserved completely. It was like a three or four magazines only. Right. So we started taking advantage of that. And then the euphoria of the census and all these diminished by the by 19 no by 2004 2005 mm-hmm. and then by that time we were already kind of consolidated and we started you know pushing to the agencies and we 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 passed like three or four years really difficult in the in the crisis of 2008 yes but then the new census came in 2010 and the crisis was over and there goes again, a new honeymoon. It's a reminder. 11, mm. 12, 13, 14 were fabulous years for us mm. in terms of advertising, in terms of investment and all that, because, you know, and, and still the, the, dom, the, the, the dominant dialogue in the media was not Latinos, was not even minorities. It was just diversity and things like that. Yeah. But in the recent, in the recent, Optic of this, which I, which I think that the, the pandemic came to kind of uh, obstruct this a little bit, but you know what happened after 2020 with George Floyd and with the Me Too movement and all the discrimination and the Latinos and all that, plus the census, it is giving us, I think, at the beginning of this decade, the 2020s. It's a reminder of the importance of these groups, right? Every the country year, and yeah. their role. And this time, I think, yeah. it has a chance of staying longer. Yeah. Because it's not only the census who is saying it. It's now many other factors outside that is telling people and reminding, as you said correctly, how important and how big is the opportunity to invest in these markets. Yeah. So I have a hypothesis. One is what's available as far as publication, but serving the Latino community in the U.S. Part of my hypothesis is in the digital um, digital outlets and platforms opened up uh, a space where you could see the true interests of Latinos. Mm-hmm. Um, you back in 99, even before all this, 
you saw something that perhaps was not being covered and interesting within the business realm. But when you talk about the masses, things like YouTube, different outlets that showed the Latino side of things mm -hmm. beyond La Piñata and the Maracas yeah. and soccer only, which we love soccer, mm -hmm. but we love many th more things, no? Football Americano, we love HBO, etc. So in, in a way, that's a, a very entrepreneurial and visionary way to start. Did you ever consider expanding uh, your niche, right? I think your niche right now is very clear mm -hmm. in leaders and, and Latinos within the U.S. to the mainstream and the masses, uh, whether it was music or sports or anything mm -hmm. within that space. Well, I think whoever answered that question with a no, This is not like understanding, <laughs> you know, uh, well or interpreting, interpreting well uh, what's going on in this world right now and what's the future. I think the future is that definitely. I mean, uh, definitely is going to go on the digital and it's going to expand on the digital universes and the and the virtual worlds, of course. But you in as in every change in paradigms in every industry. Uh, cars, uh, steel, carbon, um, nuclear, whatever industry you tell me, the paradigms, they, as long as you can attach and as long as you can keep the core uh, of your business, you can make that business flourish in every single platform. So as I interpret this is that we do three things, right? First of all, we are We, we are content creators, mm -hmm. right? So we create contents. As you say, we tell stories, we, we identify leaders, we interview them, we, we ask them to tell us their stories, we tell their stories, we dialogue with them, we recognize their leadership and all that. So that's a content creation that can be applied to any platform. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about, as we both learn in school, uh, like Marshall McLuhan once said, uh, The, the, the message is, the, is the, the, the medium. The medium, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you do? What, what kind of media do you choose to, to make this uh, message go through? Doesn't matter. The, 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 what's important is the content. The second thing we do is that we make connections, right? We, we make ends meet for, for a benefit. So we introduce people with others. That's why we have events. But we also make people that is being interviewed in a magazine be read by someone in a different state or a different city. And then, then maybe they want to meet each other and to do something connect. together, connect for something. It reminds me what you do in a little bit with Claudia Romo Edelman, who was also mm -hmm. a guest in Loud mm -hmm. and Clear and, and, and everything you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Not, exactly. She's a great connector as yeah. well. She's yeah. a great Amazing. connector. And I think that the connections of all these all these organizations like ours and like Claudia's and like some others out there that are doing a very good job is like they act towards the Hispanic community in this country. Like when you make the neurons in the brain connect, they create intelligence or they create memories or a thought. Mm -hmm. uh, when you make connections among leaders, you create leadership and you create the future because you, you are doing, you and him connect to do something that didn't exist before yeah. and that reproduces. Yeah. And the other thing that I think we do 
uh, is that we inspire. We inspire people. And we love to, to inspire with these stories others and to bring that self-esteem that we, we think the Latino community is lacking a lot. Yeah. And that has been one of the most, uh, perhaps biggest, um, biggest obstacles for, for us to develop. But we want to show that what they say, si se puede, that if, if he can do it, you can do it. You can do it. No? Yeah. So that's yes. the philosophy. That is awesome. Um, I think sometimes the pride is there, but it's not canalized in order to be productive, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Viva Mexico, cabrones, mm -hmm. and, and that that's great. But how do you bring that energy into something that's productive and something that we can feel pride, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's those are the things that you're bringing to life with with your magazine telling the mm -hmm. story of these leaders that not only shout mm -hmm. and you know yell that they mm -hmm. love mexico but they put that into action mm -hmm. uh, well, let me tell you let me tell you just three things that you can discover that can make that difference and not only say and yell and gritar and all that <laughs> one is when when a latino uh realizes that you are not only bilingual you are bicultural so by definition You can go right now, go to a party or a reunion or a business meeting in this building with Americans, with other people that are not bicultural, and you will be the superior being in that room. Mm -hmm. Because you, by, by principle, you understand, you understand two cultures, you understand two languages, you understand two attitudes, two, two, two ways of interpreting things, seeing things. Everything. You're capable to be empathetic. And understand both sides. Yes. And you can understand this point and that point. And, 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 and that. so that for me, if I were a company, that was that would be valuable. I would just ask my HR director to hire only people that are bicultural, not necessarily Latinos. I mean, Indians, um, uh, African-Americans, uh, Brazilians, I mean, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Second, second, I think that the 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 struggle of your of your community and your 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 ethnicity has to do something with with your future so it could it could drag you down if you understand that as a passive thing that you have como un pasivo like yeah. yeah but if you if you understand it as an asset if you see it as an asset and say well i am resilient i i, I can go farther Because all of these people haven't suffered the way we have suffered to be here, mm -hmm. right? So just in your case, you were a Mexican student that needed to come here, learn a new language, uh, kind of assimilate in this culture and start understanding what you, do you needed to do compared to a kid that could come from Dallas. Right. The effort and the, it was not the same. You, you came from... From I want to say, but from a different place, and have to overcome exactly. certain challenges, more things than the other, yeah. and that makes you more capable. Yeah, it's interesting because right now, as as we are talking about recession and, and things that are going on in the market today, you know, in, in 2023, January 2023, mm -hmm. um, the the we have discussed how Hispanics or Latinos tend to be more optimistic, mm -hmm. and a lot of it has to do because they've been or their parents been in situations where there's been hardship mm -hmm. and they always have the, 
the positive attitude to say we will overcome or we will get out of this, right? So the optimistic side, yes, and not not the drama side. Oh my God, I'm doomed because I, I don't have education or my my parents didn't go to the university. Yeah, is the other way. And the third one is the bright future that we are starting to hear more often every day about what is this country going in regards the minorities and especially in the Hispanic community. Is I mean, it's undeniable that the future is for the people that understand that. Yes. So, and that's a great segue because one of the questions that I had for you in particular, having vision, and you just gave me a, a, a gift, a book, where it says our story in 100 images, which is just 100 of your top leaders that you have interviewed. But this gives you great insight into not only what's happening, like talking to all of these leaders and understanding how businesses and the trends, but what's going to happen. Um, and I would like to divide that in, in two questions. One is, what is your vision of what's going to happen? It seems that we should be optimistic as Latinos, but also as Americans. Um, and, and also, you know, a little bit of the objective of this podcast, which is as ad agencies, what role do we play in that, in that future? Uh, what can we do better? How can we challenge ourselves more? Well, okay, so let's go to the first one. Uh, I think the stories of the Latino community are heroic compared to other countries because most of them started far below of the standards mm. of the usual leadership. So that gives them an advantage to know and say. The, 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 right, the bright side of that is that, yeah, if you understand this, resilience and you learn from your your past and your ancestors and your culture and you feel well equipped and well trained and and motivated to do you will be a better leader and you will be able to to win battles that maybe other people won't be winning as easy mm -hmm. the dark side and my concern and that is really a concern is that the younger generations of latinos uh transform or become as the younger generations of Americans and and the, the Latinicity if you will be lost in the generations and you uh, Pancho Gonzalez or Pancho or Jorge Ramirez mm -hmm. uh, won't be different uh, in a few years won't have that edge exactly yeah. won't have that those characteristics that made your father or your previous generations so special right right So it, it, the, the new generations need to understand that and need to keep that part of life to be able to keep having that advantage. Yes. Now, the, the advertising agencies. Uh, I think that, I think I am a believer that the, the advertising agencies were very responsible in the story of media to invent the media. I mean, it was we can tell a lot of stories on how a need for marketing ended up creating a channel of communication. Mm -hmm. TV, radio, I mean, all the telenovelas, all the shows that were created Soap in the operas, 40s. right? Yeah, where to, Gamble. where to promote products, where to promote things in the media, in the TVs. Wasn't this uh, guy, Noble, from Noble y Asociados in Mexico, who told Emilio Azcárraga how to how to sell the soap opera, you divide it by three, 
and you make three interruptions for commercials. Uh, three niches. And yeah. you put you put three commercials or four commercials of 20 seconds each, and that gives you half an hour. So that math was made in an advertising agency because I didn't know that needed needed yeah. to to advertising TV and 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 so so first of all I think advertising agencies, especially the ones that were founded. No, I mean, all, all of them, because every generation has had its geniuses and its uh, real pioneers, uh, has a lot to do with uh, being a lot to do with the creation of media. So I think that is one many very important thing. Now, what is very difficult right now, and, and, and I need to tell you this, I need to confess that whoever knows, that's my opinion. Yes, of course. Where the future of the Hispanic marketing is, I think is lying. I think now you, the agencies that are active and are leading this industry are the ones responsible for, for creating or inventing what is going to be effective to market to the future generations of Latinos. Okay. And I don't think no pressure, no? Many people, <laughs> yes. And I don't think many people has a clue on that. Right. I, in all my experience talking and having these serious talks with advertisers and marketers and even people from the client side. On the business side. On the business side. Uh, it's a, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, of uh, things that have not been yet defined, not have been studied enough. And uh, I don't know. And, and you can see that, for example, in the political arena. And you can see that how both parties have been really, really struggling to capture the vote of Latinos. And none of them has can say, oh, I won that. Why? I have won the battle for Latinos. No. Mm-hmm. They, they are like 50-50. Because it's also hard. You, you try to naturally bucket them under the same. And within the Latino, there's a spectrum of beliefs and thoughts, right? Like there's... When you talk about politics, there's left and right and anything in between the middle, right? Yeah. And and it's and then you add to add to that the different ethnicities, the different ages, the different uh, parts of the country where they live, uh, the different level of assimilations that they have, the different level of, for example, in my own household, I I am married, and my kids were born here, so where they were Americans by by born birth mm-hmm. by birth. But uh, when the opportunity to to do the our naturalization process, me and my wife, she, she did it before, because I was not convinced that I wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I was still resisting, right? Right. Or or not resisting, but maybe um, uh, procrastinating. Yeah, clinging uh, to your a decision. Yeah. yeah, that I didn't want to 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 have. And, and it lasted quite some time to, yeah. to you know, be convinced that, yeah, I need to have uh, both nationalities and, and because I don't want to resign to being a Mexican. But, uh, of course, I need to embrace my, my, my uh, country where I do business, where my kids were born. And I think it's a great opportunity. And what is your wife's background? Is she Mexican. Mexican. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, okay. we, we came here. Yeah. Uh, just married. Oh, wow. No kids. Incredible. So, but I think that's if, if that, I, I said that because that's an illustration on on how complex are Latinos these days. You know? Yeah. When in a single household you have two different views 
on, on their own future. I used to argue that the difference between Mexican immigrants and the rest of the Latino immigrants were that most Mexicans were not planning to stay here forever. So they would come here, they want to work, they want to uh, uh, create wealth, uh, save money, send money to Mexico. With the dream to come back. With the dream to sometime go back to my little town, buy a house to my mother, uh, be there, maybe having a school or a street named after me because I donated something for the park or the public library or for the, the, the Mercado de la Plaza was named after right. me because I did all these donations and I am kind of a little hero there. That, if you ask me, that is a huge ambition, no? ambition of many Latinos that come here and work hard. That and They don't plan to be like, yeah, I want to stay here and I'm American now. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a huge difference, uh, Francisco, when you say, okay, how do you, how do you sell to those people? Yeah, yeah I, take, I take from this that one of the biggest challenges as leaders and as marketers, I think, I think a lot of the leaders you talk to have built businesses of, on a certain niche or need of the market, so they probably have a clear vision. But as we try to communicate, and some of our clients from what we call the general market or the mainstream uh, U.S. come to us and they try to put Latinos in a niche, it's more complicated than that, yeah. right? It's it, The spectrum is too wide and there's too many options. Uh, so you need to almost treat it on a cases, case by case yeah. basis, right? Case by case. Now, the question, I think the question is what will happen with the Hispanic agencies? Are they going to assimilate and, and especially the high end of the Hispanic community, is it going to be still being treated as just general market, just because they understand English and read English as well as the others? Or it is going to be something specifically directed to these kind of people that appeals to them for some certain reasons that is not as appealing for a white uh, yeah. guy? Yeah, I mean, I can give you a partial answer to that, which is as you try to connect with these groups, you use the state language as a tool to make a deeper connection with them. Mm -hmm. So you might identify them and say, okay, well, maybe the Spanish language is a tool we could use in this case. Maybe it's a passion, right? Whether it's food or music or mm -hmm. so. I mean, those are the things that we're constantly talking with our clients and probably you're finding out also with the relationships that you've built. But the bigger call out of trying to unite and network and tell the stories of this uh, Latino leaders and the people they represent, because it's not only the leaders you talk mm -hmm. to, they're representing thousands and thousands of people. I think it's a, it's a quest that's interesting in the next decade yeah. <laughs> and that you started, you know, two decades ago. Yeah. And you know what? What I have discovered that is a clue and I think is reflected in most of the interviews is that all these people that we have interviewed had realized that they have came to a country in which their dreams can come true. And that that welcomes them uh, on, a, on, a, on a basis of hard work and, and rule of law. And that is invaluable un for many of these people coming, not only from Mexico, but from other parts in Latin America. That is the, the, the wonderful thing about this country. And I think that the Latino nation in this country should emerge in 20, 30, 40, 50 years as a 
very special uh, nation within the U.S. Mm-hmm. that that could be like like the the nation or the community that 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 elevates or keeps elevating this country into being one of the largest and most important countries in the, the best world. Best country in the world, yeah. The country of the world. I think, I, I sincerely believe that. Yeah. Because they, they have come for this and they have found what they have come to look for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jorge, I've enjoyed so much talking to you. As a last question, I wanted to ask you if you were as almost like what I see and your story as a rebel, mm-hmm. uh, finding a niche and being an independent media um, property, what advice would you give to mainstream media? What are you seeing that you like? Or what are you seeing in the future? I know they, they've gone out and bought digital properties. Mm-hmm. They've made alliances, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You as a successful publisher and media property owner, what would you tell them? Say, hey, uh, to get more in touch with mm-hmm. the people, no? the, the what's really happening mm-hmm. on the streets. I think, Francisco, and I think that's a very interesting question because no one, no one asks that, especially to media people, because media people seem to be always very uh, convinced on what we are doing, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so you you don't dare to ask uh, uh, the producer of Fox Five News uh, what else could we do, and he will tell you, "I'm doing," you know. Yeah. My but, mission is working. Yes, of <laughs> no, but I think that you know I have have the privilege in all my 34 years as a journalist to be reporting on positive journalism. I don't have to depend on crimes or tragedies or or scandals to make my magazine sell. Yeah. So if if the large media companies can change a little bit the narrative of their shows, both entertainment shows or like the miniseries, you go to the miniseries and all of them are about narcos or about crime and bullets and yeah. and you know but but if you if you could do something to start changing the mood of people and 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 changing a little bit the narrative to make the the, the media reflect a brighter and happier side of our world that has it i think it would be greatly appreciated and at the beginning it might be a little bit naive if you will but at the end, it will be more better consumed, that yeah. media, those stories, than the tragic, horrible stories that we are accustomed to see, especially coming out from, just emerging from this pandemic in which every single day you were being reported. How many new people sick? How many deaths? How many yeah. people in hospitals? How many people are uh, tired, respirators? No? Imagine yeah. two years of that. People yeah. are... Yeah, I think there's definitely that's that's a good answer. I've, I've uh, I, I didn't think think of it that way. I think there's still many love stories to be told, mm-hmm. many successful stories to be told, and I think yours is one of them. So thank you for coming and sharing with us these stories. I really appreciate you taking the time to come across town and and sit down in our offices and 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 talk live. I miss this. Normally we've been doing this through Teams or Zoom. Anything you would like to close with just say thank you and and your company for what you're doing i really admire what you and the lerma team are doing i think uh, you you. and your boss are really good visionaries and i think that that you are really 
you have something that in the future will be, you know, uh, understood as a pioneering uh, work. Hopefully. And um, just just say that if you are Latino and you're listening to this post podcast, uh, Francisco, I think we should all be proud because it's not easy to come to this country. Uh, there's a lot of com com competition, but if you if you think you can make it here, I think it's a great country to not only uh, realize or or execute success for yourself, but when you succeed yourself, you are at the same time making the Latino community succeed. So dream big and the sky's the limit. Amazing. Love it. And if you're listening, este, Jorge, if, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, what would be the best way to do that? Well, uh, my email, that is uh, jferraiz at latinoleaders.com. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's easy. Yeah. And Or, I know you're in social media, right? Yes. I'm in social media, Jorge Ferraiz in Facebook and, and, and Ferra Jorge Ferraiz also in Instagram. Or you can go to our latinoleaders.com website and you will find there all the contacts and all the the things to contact us and that would be amazing well this is this is the fifth season now uh the first episode of of loud and clear we start big with jorge ferraiz great leader great entrepreneur and visionary i was already impressed when i invited you i'm more impressed now after hearing your story there'll be more episodes to come we appreciate you being here Look for us at Lerma underscore agency on Twitter, lermaagency.com. Uh, we have all of the episodes of this podcast there. And we'll see you on the Super Bowl. It's January and we're going to have a couple of spots there. So we're excited about what's to come and we're excited about what we're building. So thank you, Jorge. Thank you to the audience. We'll be on the lookout. Gracias. Gracias.